This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is similar to Psalm 73. Those are easy to remember, children. Psalm 37 and 73 both have the psalmist struggling with the prosperity of the wicked, the unbeliever in this world. And the psalmist calls us And God calls a psalmist to trust in the Lord who is the God of providence and does all things for our good and for the destruction of the reprobate. Psalm 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger. And forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little little while, and the wicked shall not be, yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow, to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conversation." Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish 
and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs, they shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not back, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous, and and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord, he is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 10, where we find the Catechism's explanation of the doctrine of providence. Lord's Day 10. Explaining our faith in God the Father. We find Lord's Day 10. What dost thou mean by the providence of God? Answer, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by His hand, He upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What advantage is it to to us to know that God has created and by His providence doth still uphold all things? Answer that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and 
that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from His love, since all creatures are so in His hand, that without His will they cannot so much as move. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 37 began, as we saw, with a series of commands to fret not, but rather to trust in the Lord, to commit thy way unto Him, to delight in the Lord, to rest in Him. Verses 1-8, through eight, we hear these brief commands unto the child of God as he is facing affliction upon this earth while he sees the wicked prospering and while he himself faces adversity. But how are we able to trust God, to fret not, to commit our way unto Him and rest in Him? In order to trust Him, we must know the essential truth of God's providence. The truth taught in Lord's Day 10. If God is not the God of providence, if God is not the God as described in Lord's Day 10, upholding and governing everything so that nothing can so much as move except it be His will, if God is not such a God, then the calling to trust Him will be weak. then God would be unreliable. He would not be God. But we hear this morning that God is God. And God is the God of providence. The One who does uphold and govern all things for us in Jesus Christ. And when we hear that Gospel of God's providence, that strengthens us to trust Him, to rest in Him in the midst of the greatest of adversity. He is that God who does, as it were, by His hand, upholds and governs all things, heaven, earth, and all creatures. We are reminded of this truth, though we know it well. We need the reminder that we might rest, trust, delight, in Him, as we're called to in this psalm. The truth of God's providence is intimately connected, it is joined to the truth of God's creation. A couple of weeks ago, here at Hope Church, we considered the doctrine of God's creation. And we said that that is a distinct event about 6,000 years ago, which took place by the word of God's mouth in six literal days, He created all things out of nothing. Well, that doctrine of creation, though it's distinct, is intimately connected to the doctrine of providence. We must have the doctrine of creation to have the doctrine of providence. Remove creation, distort it, we saw last time, then God's power, really, His His attribute of being almighty is compromised. It's weakened. We don't have the evidence, the proof 
of God's Word that says He created all things by that great power. Then He is weak to govern all things in His providence, you see. And so you're called this morning to believe in God the Creator, the One who has such power to create all things in six days. And believing that God the Creator rest in Him who is also the God of providence, who with the same power by which He created, now continues to speak and govern all things for us His people in Christ Jesus. Consider this truth as Lord's Day 10 teaches us on the basis of Scripture under the theme, God's hand of providence. God's hand of providence. First, the meaning. Second, the goal of that providence. And then finally, the response. Our response to this truth. The meaning of God's providence is very simple. It's simple for each child to understand. Each child of God. Providence is God's preservation of all things and God's control of all things. That simply. All things that He had made in six days, He did not leave to evolve and develop on its own. But all things that He made in six days, He continues to uphold and control, to preserve and control. Neither did He do this. He did not leave the creation and mankind to fall in Adam and devolve on its own either. But having created all things, He upheld and controlled all things to fall and to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. What does thou mean by the providence of God? The catechism points us to those two same concepts I just mentioned. Preserves and controls using synonyms. He upholds and governs. Preserves means upholds. Governs is a synonym to control. He upholds and governs all things. And we meditate first this morning on that first part of God's providence that He upholds or preserves all things. That means He keeps all things alive and in existence. Alive and in existence according to His will. Having created each creature, whether it be the light on the first day, the firmament on the second day, or the dry land and the plants on the third day, the heavenly bodies on the fourth, the the spiritual beings, the angels in one of those first days, the fish in the sea, the birds, the beasts, and men. Having created all these things, He is the one who in His providence keeps them alive. Every breath that is taken, every beat of the heart, every holding of life is in the hand of God. And then at his appointed time, Psalm 104 says, 104 verse 29, he takes away their breath. And they die and they return to the dust. He's the one who preserves life and he's the one who 
brings it to its end. Providence includes this preservation of life. Acts 17 verse 18 is what Paul preached to the Athenians, you remember? In Acts 17, 18, we read, For in Him we live. In God, Paul says, we live and move and have our being. That means God keeps us alive. But notice that included in that explanation of providence, not only does God keep us alive, but part of His preserving care is to keep us in existence. That's slightly different, children, than merely keeping us alive. He keeps us as to our being, our very existence. And that perhaps we don't think about as often as we should. If God did not uphold us or preserve us, not only would we die, but we would cease to exist altogether. So that which you see in the mirror, your hands, your, your eyes, your, your whole body, and, and even your soul, if God did not continue to uphold in His providence your very person and being, you would immediately become nothing again. And that's the case for everything. All that He has created out of nothing would become nothing again. If God did not in His providence this Almighty Power, sustain life and existence. In Psalm 37, verse 24, we find that word uphold or preserve in verse 24. Though he fall, we read, referring to the believer, though we fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So God in His providence there upholds His elect people. And though that word uphold refers to quite a few different things, the idea is that He preserves us in every way. He upholds us, our body, our soul, our physical life, our spiritual life. The devil cannot have his way with us. No one can pluck us out of his hand. He is sustaining us every moment of every day. You should be impressed by that by your weakness and His strength. Young men, young ladies, perhaps you exercise a lot and you're healthy and you eat well. Maybe you have muscles. Maybe you feel invincible, as they say, as a young person. Go ahead and take the risks in life and feel like you're, you're strong. It's not you who maintains your life. The Bible says you're like a blade of grass and it quickly withers. You can die at any moment except the Lord upholds you. You can't even exist except the Lord upholds you. You are not indestructible. You are utterly dependent on Him. And you who are older, who perhaps think, I want to die. I don't want to be here anymore. Remember, it is God in His providence who is upholding and preserving according to His will every moment and every breath you take. Your life here below too. 
God's providence is His upholding of our life and existence. But there's a second important point about God's providence I have already mentioned, and that is His control or His governing of all things. The Catechism uses that word govern, holds and governs. In Reformed circles, we refer to this second aspect of God's providence as His sovereignty. It's, it's the same as His sovereignty. God is absolutely sovereign over all things. He does not only keep it in existence, but He controls it. So that as the Catechism succinctly and beautifully explains it at the end of question and answer 28, all creatures are so in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. Every movement is in God's control by His providence. I refer you back to that sermon by Paul in Acts 17, verse 14. Before he said, in him we live and move and have our very being, or have our very being, you have the word move. In him we live and move and have our very being. Each movement is by the sovereign control of God. And, and I prove that simply by the word or the name God. Did you know that the word God means exactly that He is Almighty? God means that He is Almighty. So the profound but simple truth is that God is God. That's what we're talking about today. God is God. He is God of absolutely everything. And if God is God of absolutely everything, then nothing can move except God moves it. And if at any moment He didn't control something, and it maybe went off by chance out there, then He wouldn't be God anymore. For God to be God, He must be in control of all things. The word Almighty that attribute that the name God means, does not merely mean that God is stronger than everyone, that God is stronger than Satan, that God is stronger than you, that God is stronger than everyone and all their strength put together. It, it means that, but it's far more than that. That God is almighty means that all power that anybody has, any creature has, is from God. Is given by God. And it's controlled by God. That's how almighty He is. And yes, that pertains to absolutely all things. It's all comprehensive. Not, not one, one wing of a bird flits. Not one snowflake falls or melts. Not one tail of a dog twitches. Not one person in the pew moves. Not one blood cell travels through the vein 
Not one word spoken or preached this morning is outside of His control, His providence. That's amazing. That's amazing. Not only here, but in all the universe, in every galaxy, in heaven and hell, all moved by Him. In Psalm 37, verse 23, we find the psalmist focusing on God's people, the elect. Verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God orders. Not only plans, he does that too, but he orders. Every step of our feet, not only, but every step of our way. That's a poetic way to say every movement in our life is ordered by the Lord. Planned and moved by God. I remind you what you already know. The sickness you suffer. The protein counts in your body. You think about as you fight cancer. Parkinson's. Diabetes. Blood sugar levels, the clogging of your arteries, a heart attack, surgery, and the amount of time it takes to recover, every nerve that fires so that you feel pain, childlessness and conception, a baby's movement in the womb. Depression and joy. Win the loss. The gaining of members and the losing of members. A leak in the ceiling. Coming to your church or visiting another. The conspiracies. They are theorized on the real conspiracies by government officials. The economy, the stock market, when it improves or when it crashes. Problems in the church or success, discipline, and the turning of the heart in true repentance, life and death. Yes, God governs all of it. Even sin, even sin, is not enough to say that He simply allows sin or permits it, though we may say that. But it's more than that. He does sovereignly govern even sin. While that is mysterious to us, and we do not have all the answers to all the questions we have regarding that problem of evil, we guard the goodness of God. He is not responsible for sin. And yet, we never deny this truth. God is God. The God of providence even over sin. To take that away would be to lose all our comfort. 
to let sin and Satan and darkness be outside of God's control would be the most terrible thing for any one of us. He is in control. God's Word says so. The king's heart even, Proverbs 21, is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, He turneth it whithersoever He will. God controls sin. Not, not so that we ever blame Him for it, as I said. And it is the case that we have a sinful nature. With our sinful natures, we would dare sometimes to point the finger at God after we sin. And to even point there so that we can excuse our sin. God does not allow that in any way. We must repent of it, and may God so in His providence govern you to repent of that, if that is what you are doing today. Do not accuse Him for sin. Neither does this doctrine of providence have a say, well, it's then continuing sin. That would be the antinomian response to the doctrine of providence. May God again, in His providence, turn you from that antinomian spirit which we are all prone to. And yet, having said that, it is a wondrous truth that God does govern even sin. Personally, God doesn't stand aloof so that He's really far away from us and just lets things happen here below. But He is imminent. That's one of the attributes of God. He is near. He is close. And He controls all things and upholds all things while He is right next to us and even in us. And... The Catechism points us to this when it says the everywhere present power of God, but also when it repeats that idea of by His hand. Three times it repeats it. By His hand. As it were, by His hand. By His fatherly hand. By His hand. That's a biblical term. We find it in, in the psalm we read, Psalm thirty-seven twenty-four. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with His Hand with His hand. The point is, God is here with His hand. Near us as He upholds and controls all things. That is a precious thought. Never forget that. He is personally involved. In our computer age, sometimes we imagine God's providence this way. That He somehow has programmed the world that he has created and plugged in information into some computer that runs this universe and then sits back and watches that which he has determined. That is called deism. That is a pagan philosophy. That is unbelief. We don't believe in that kind of God. It is essential, and that which distinguishes a Christian from, from a pagan that God, the true God, 
is intimately involved in our lives, with us, personally governing all things for His people. As it were, by His hand. And that's all the comfort for the child of God in Jesus Christ. But not for a unbeliever. It's a terrible thought, really. If you sit here this morning and you're rejecting Christ, you're willfully impenitent in sin. It's, it's, this is an, an awful thought, but you need to hear it. If God were not just far off planning who has planned all things, but He's personally here, as it were, with His hand, holding all things, even you, and at any, mo at any moment, you who are against Him, He could crush, He could bring, He does bring, every hardship, every way to slide you down to hell. If you are His enemy, He does everything against you. What an awful thought if... The doctrine of providence is heard by one who is in unbelief. You are, as one man put it, a sinner in the hands of an angry God. But not for the believer. As he rests in Christ, he rests in this true God. The eternal God is thy refuge. Underneath are His everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33, 37. But the same hands which uphold and control all things are the ones who came and were pierced for us. I have graven you, Isaiah 49, upon the palms of my hands. And those are the hands that governs all things. He's close by, reigning in Satan, holding us that we may not lose our salvation, caring for us and turning us away from sin, even when He brings His chastising hand upon us. He's always there for His people. Be careful, beloved, how we speak. As an application, there is, I'm hearing, and the elders are hearing, and an increase in verbiage that the world promotes in unbelief. The verbiage or the language of luck, young people? Oh, I was lucky. I know you say I don't actually believe in luck or some reformed sense of luck. No. Luck is chance. We don't believe in that. God doesn't put a pause in providence while you're playing a game. You're not lucky. He is very really governing all things. doesn't mean you can't have fun. But He is there. Governing a ball, an orange ball through a hoop. He is there. And it's not luck. It's not fortune. Even the words fortunately and unfortunately. And stop the karma. Karma is a mix of luck and works righteousness from the Hindu religion. There's no such thing as karma. It's not that if you do a good work, you get better luck in the future. It's karma. 
is taught by the Hindus. It's a mix of works righteousness and the denial of God's providence. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And let God's people believe this God of providence with their heart and let their mouth show it as well. There's one goal. Part of that goal in God's providence is His elect's good. The spiritual good of His elect people in Jesus Christ. Especially their good in the new heavens and the new earth. Psalm 37 emphasizes that. And so I start with that this morning in the second point, verses 5 and 6. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him. He shall bring it to pass. And we, might, we ask, we're supposed to ask, bring what to pass? Verse 6 tells us, He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. This is your hope. This is your end. This is the goal of God in His providence. He is saying, the last judgment when you will be declared righteous for Christ's sake alone and you will shine as the sun on the noonday. That's what He is governing all things unto. Verse 9, For evildoers shall be cut off, the negative, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth, not this fallen earth, but the future new heavens and the new earth. That's God's goal of providence in His providence. Verse 18, The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. What inheritance? Not the one you're going to get from your mom and dad. That won't be forever. The inheritance from God your Father in heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. This is the focus of Psalm 37, and it needed to be the focus of Psalm 37 because, as I said earlier on, the psalmist writes in the time when the elect and God's people didn't, they did not have much on this earth. Neither did they believe that God was going to give them a whole lot here below. Beloved, we live in America, in a wealthy country, and it's not wrong to have what you have. That is God's providence too. But realize that you and I are an anomaly. We are an exception. Most in this world, Christians, do not have much that we have and over the time period of this whole earth, it is normal that Christians didn't have much on this earth in terms of health or wealth. And it's going to be that way in the last days as well. You know that. And so the focus of us when we think about God's goal in governing all things is not, well, what good... God works all things for our good, we say. What good is He going to work out for me here below? That is not the focus. It easily becomes our focus. God's goal. In working all things, adversity included, is to shape and mold us spiritually to fit us for a paradise far better, far greater than what Adam had in the new heavens and the new earth. 
Not because you deserve it. You deserve hell, remember? Because He's seen you in Jesus Christ from eternity. And Christ has lived a perfect life in your place and suffer. And though you don't deserve it, this great glory that He has in store for you, Christ deserves it. And in Him, you are seen by this God of providence. This God, your Father, governs all things for your greater good in glory. On the other hand, again, because the, the Word of God points us to this, we must come to this too. A second goal of God, or part of this goal of God in preserving and governing all things, it's not so nice. But it's for the destruction and the destruction of the unbelieving reprobate. Their future, Psalm 37 says again and again, makes clear, is going to be cut off, not a ceasing of existence, but a bringing down to eternal hell, eternal death. The rain and the sunshine that fall on their crops, the luxurious life that they may live, the millions of dollars in their cribs, the nice homes that they have, success or the job, the bounties of this earth that many unbelievers do have may look like God's blessing, may look like God's grace. And many have been confused that it is such. But the Word of God here in Psalm 37, as well as I say, Psalm 73, a twin psalm, shows us that God is not this God of common grace. But God is a God of providence and His purpose in bringing earthly good upon an unbeliever, reprobate, is to bring him to a greater destruction, to fill up his cup of wrath, to leave him without excuse. If that is grace, beloved, it isn't. But if that is grace, that's a horrible, awful grace. And you and I don't want that grace. Do we? This kind of grace that many speak of, of earthly good, earthly blessings, to bring us down to destruction. Don't ever wish you could switch places with them or join them in their goals and pursuits of many who hold the common grace desire. Their end is destruction. And their end that the Word of God shows us proves it's not grace. The goal of God in providence is for us. It's against the unbelieving reprobate. But don't forget the most important aspect of the goal of God's providence. Here it is. Yes, it's for us. Yes, it's against the reprobate. But here's the most important goal of God's providence. 
Christ's glory. Colossians 1.16 All things were created by Him, that is by the Son of God, and for Him, for His glory. Why did God create? Because if God did not create, Jesus Christ would have nothing to save. Why did God in His providence control the events so there was a fall? The fall of Satan and the angels and the fall of the world. So that Christ could come and save the world and show His glory to us. Why did God govern all things through the Old Testament in order that Christ, the Messiah, prophesied in the Old Testament, could come in the fullness of time and redeem His people, born of a virgin, why did God in His determinate counsel and foreknowledge, according to Acts 2.23, control wicked men to take a hold of this Christ and crucify and slay Him? That was no accident. God was, in, God was governing that sin too, the worst sin of human history. Why? So that Christ may in that way gain the victory over sin and death and Satan for us and win for us eternal life. Why did God govern all history after Christ, so that the gospel has spread to all lands, including this land, to Gentiles like us, so that we might be gathered, we might repent, we might be turned to praise and glorify our Savior Jesus Christ. Why are we going to heaven? Why will you get there? In His mercy. Not merely so that you might enjoy the new heavens and the new earth, but so that as you enjoy the new heavens and the new earth, you may glorify and praise this Jesus Christ, who is the only reason that you get there. Beloved, reformed people like us too often act like spoiled children. We ask the question, as a child might ask of his mom and dad, how is this for my good? Prove it. Explain it to me. What's in it for me? And you must hear this. It's humbling, but it's for your good. Beloved, you are beloved. You're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. It's not all about you. It's about Jesus. It wouldn't be good if it was all about you. It's only good if it's all about Christ. And so even if you cannot see how this is for my good and for your good, it's not for you to know all you need to know. And all I need to know is that Christ will receive all the glory in this way. Doesn't that thrill us? The child of God, the believer, knows it's what it's all about. And he can't wait to join the hosts in heaven. Not to say, look at all that I have here below, in this new heavens and the new earth even, but to say, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
Keep your eye there, beloved. He is not only the one that is the reason for all things worked for your good, but He is the one to whom all glory must go. And knowing this about God's providence, His almighty and everywhere present power, whereby He upholds and governs all things for our good, for the destruction of the wicked, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Knowing this, our response must be faith, belief, Believe in this God. Believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Believe in His providence. Believe that He is the Creator. Believe that He is the God of providence who upholds and governs all the creation. Believe this God and no other God. And believing, be patient. Patient in adversity, the Catechism says. Or as Psalm 37 verse 7 puts it, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. Wait patiently. Patience and waiting, remember, is not inactivity, passivity, laziness, indifference, neglect. Patient waiting is endurance. It's a pressing on in the calling that God has given us in Jesus Christ. It's obedience to Him through the difficult circumstances as you trust in His providence. The opposite is not merely giving up. The opposite is not merely despairing. The opposite, the psalmist shows us, is anger. When it speaks of fretting, fretting includes anger. And verse 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Beloved, you and I need to acknowledge that and repent of that this morning too as you hear the doctrine of providence. When things don't go our way, it could be the little things, spilled milk, missed lunch, inconvenience, didn't go how I planned it, we get angry, frustrated. With our circumstances, we say, that had happened at him or her. But our crabbiness and our irritation about the more minor things in life is really anger against the God of providence. It is. Admit it. And then when the big things we call them, the distresses in life, the disease, the breakup of a home, the straying of a son, church problems it's very easy also then to be angry not only with people who sin against us, but with God. Admit it. That's the bitterness of the human heart we're prone to. And you're called then, in hearing the God of providence, to repent of your anger, cease from it, forsake wrath, turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, and rest instead patiently. And the God who governs what you don't like for you and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Second response, thankfulness in prosperity, the catechism says. 
thankfulness. Yes, we have success on this earth. He gives good things. He gives abundance even. Don't, don't complain about abundance. God's people are not to feel guilty about all they have. Be content even with prosperity. But be thankful. And the opposite of that is pride. It is to imagine that I gained it myself. And I know as Reformed people, we won't say it. We feel it and we think it. I won. I worked hard. It's because I held to true doctrine. And so on and so forth. Not your hand, remember, has gained you the victory or anything on this earth. It's the hand of God's providence. And the arm of Jesus Christ who has gained you everything. Thankfulness, not pride and prosperity. Third, confidence in the, for the future instead of worry. A firm trust, the catechism says. A firm trust in our faithful God and Father when we think of all things which hereafter shall befall us. The future, beloved, is uncertain. We don't know what evil is going to crop up in the church. We don't know what evil is going to come against us from the world. We don't know who the Antichrist is and when he will show up. We don't know whether that persecution will come against us and our children. We don't know whether we will live for another day. But we're confident. We're confident. Not in ourselves, but in the God who upholds and governs all things for us. We put aside the fretting that the psalm speaks about, the, the worry. We fight against that. Be still, beloved. Be still and know that you are not God. God says, I am God. You see how you are playing God when you worry about the future because you want to control it. God says, I am God. God is God. You aren't in control tomorrow and that's okay. Tomorrow is in the hand of someone far greater, far more reliable than you. Who knows what is truly good, better than you. And finally, worship. Worship. That's the response. Patience, thanks, confidence, worship. That's the most important. That's not explicitly mentioned in the catechism. But that's the highest activity of the child of God. Worship. Glory of God. The glory of Jesus Christ. That's the goal, remember. Of providence. That's the goal of every child of God. The worship of God. Verse 4, delight thyself. Delight thyself also in. And not, not in what God can do for me. Delight thyself in, in God Himself. In the Lord. Stand in awe of Him. Glorify Him. 
turn outward to Him. See Him for who He is. Because He is yours. You belong to Him. And cease from murmuring then. I formed the last four responses in the form of a calling. And it is a calling. But notice the word in the catechism to close. Advantage. Not just your calling. This is your advantage in knowing the God of providence. He gives to you the power to be patient in adversity. To be thankful in prosperity. To be confident in Him for the future. Put aside worry. And the best. The single greatest benefit in believing the God of providence. You are able to worship Him. No matter what. Amen. Let's pray. O God, we bow before Thee, for Thou art God. We admire, we stand in awe, we delight in Thee and in Jesus Christ, for whose sake we receive all things, and for whom all things have been arranged and all things are governed. We pray, give unto us faith to believe in Thee, and give unto us the same goals that Thou dost have, that we may pursue Thy glory in all that Thou dost arrange in our lives. Keep us, O God, living in the consciousness of Thy fatherly hand, near of holding, governing in Thy love. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.